This podcast is part of the Dark Myths Collective. Visit darkmyths.org to discover more shows like this one. The Darkness Awaits. It's about to be a fun ride. Follow along, watch as we slide. Paranormal just hit the lights. Goosebumps all through the night. Mixing just a little bit of twang. That girl sure can't do a thing. Together, hillbillies go insane. Laugh so hard it'll hurt your brain. Podcast you won't ever change. These two here, they got the recipe. Sat on back and listen in to some of our darkest mysteries. Eh? Welcome to Hillbilly Horror Stories. And now here's your host. Jerry and Tracy Polly and their dog Ninja. Hey guys, and welcome to episode 162 of Hibbly Horror Stories. I'm Jerry. I'm Tracy. And we have got so much stuff to talk to you guys about. Obviously, most of it we'll talk about after the story, but we were at CryptidCon yesterday and today. And it was so much fun, and we've met so many awesome people. Oh, my gosh. That's just amazing. Everything from people from the local news that want us to come on to uh, a gentleman by the name of Mike Couch, which we will continue to talk about throughout the months because he has an awesome charity mm-hmm. for amputees that uh, we are going to get behind and start uh Trying to use as our little pet charity. Yeah, he is amazing. He is so inspiring. And I bought the book that he wrote about it, and it's just amazing. Yeah, he's he's uh, something else. And like I said, the, we're eventually going to get him on the show. And the more that we have him on, the more I think you guys are going to really like wh- who he is and mm-hmm. what he stands for. And then, uh, obviously, we got to meet some awesome people. Derek Hayes from Monsters Among Us. That he's going to come on the show. We're going to do some collaboration stuff and just so many people that we met. Nick Groff, mm-hmm. who uh, Nick filmed a video with Mike Couch. So if yeah. you've seen that video on our Facebook page, that's Mike. Yes. So we're talking about it. And we kind of snuck in a corner because we were not right next to uh-huh. Mike. So you can see us a little bit. Nobody has a clue who we are. <laughs> that's but right. We're in Nick Groff's video. I know. How cool is that? <laughs> Which Nick is like a super nice guy. Oh, yeah. Super nice guy. Definitely. So, anyways. First of all, we want to thank all of our military and civil servants all over the world. Amen. With that being said, one of the gentlemen, uh, obviously Wild Bill from uh, Mountain Monsters, was oh, right next to our table. He is a very proud Marine. Oh, he is very proud. And uh, what a hoot those guys were to they be were, next to. Oh, my gosh. They were so fun to be beside. So super sweet. And, uh, man, we just lucked out all around this weekend. Yep. So thank all of you you guys and, and girls and canine units, no yeah. matter where you're at, no matter which country you represent. Thank you for all you do. We greatly appreciate we it. We sure do, huh? I'm praying for you guys. And then, like like every week, uh, we want to remind people that, you know, we had a great time. We did a bunch we of sure fun did. stuff. But not everybody had a great weekend. Not everybody had yeah. a great week. Not everybody, you know, is going through life at this moment. Uh, just thinking everything's just peachy. They're struggling. There could be for any number of reasons. And we just want every one of you to know if you're one of those people that we want you to try to get back on the road to being happy too. And if that means contacting us to just talk about what's going on in your life or getting in our Facebook group and telling people, you know, that you just need somebody to talk to or, or to lean on, please feel free to do that. If you would rather be a little more anonymous, the, uh, suicide hotline here in the United States is 
273-8255. And I also have a text line if you're more of a texter, 741-741. Reach out to somebody, though. Please don't try to bear this burden all on your own. Yes, absolutely. Please. Here for you day or night. All right. This story is going to be a big coincidence because if you came to the Louisville live show that we did at Waverly, or not at Waverly, but the, the night mm-hmm. we did the Waverly tours, we actually told this story. And it's the only live event that we've used it on. It's funny because we've had this kind of in our pocket. And this week we were like, well, we need to come up with a show. And we literally, we went to Gatlinburg over the weekend for Memorial, or uh, Labor Day weekend. And then we came back. We had to go to a concert that was two and a half hours away, up and back, on a work night. And then we had this convention for Crypticon on the weekend. So there really was no time to write a new show of quality. And Tracy's like, well, don't we have some shows that we were doing for the live events that we weren't going to do anymore this year? And I'm like, I forgot all about it. We've got one on the Hensdale house. That's an awesome story. Lo and behold, right after we decided we were going to do that, we find out that Daniel Clays, who owns the Hensdale house, was going to be a Crypticon with us. <laughs> so, I mean, it's a pretty cool coincidence. Yeah, so we got a chance to talk to him. And uh, it was funny that the word got back to him that we were going to do this, mm-hmm. I guess, through the uh, Jennifer who runs the, the thing. I think she must have told him because as soon as I got, came up and introduced myself to him, he was like, hey, I hear you're, you're going to do uh, – a show on the Hinsdale house. And it was so awesome just to have the owner of the yeah. place tell us, you know, that he had heard we were going to do a show. Cool. On it, so. All I got to say is I cannot hang y'all. <laughs> all, this, <laughs> all this running. Oh, I enjoy it at the moment, but man, my butt is wore out. I'm telling you, we was at Crypticon yesterday and literally as soon as I came home, what time was it? Six thirty. You was in you was in bed at eight o'clock. Oh, it was before eight. Well, no, I guess it'd been about eight o'clock. I came right up, went straight to bed, and I stayed there all night long, and I slept. I can't hang no more. I can't. Mm-hmm. You're old. I know it's it's like heartbreaking. I mean, I used to not go out till midnight and stay out all night. I can't even hang till eight o'clock now. Well, I mean, back when you was a groupie for Lawrence Welk, it was probably different <laughs> in your younger age. Hey. <laughs> You know Lawrence Welk got it going on. That's where I got my sparkle. Your bubbles. My sparkle. All right. Let's jump into the story because we're about six minutes and 40 seconds in and oh, you know we're sorry. a minute and a half past complaints. Okay. Sorry. Sorry, y'all. Speaking of complaints. Oh, no. We've we fixed. We think we fixed the, the country music oh, problem. Yeah. So we've got new cables. I did a test earlier. I didn't hear anything. I would say... If you guys hear country music, please let us know. But that goes without saying because we had about sixty people last week tell us. Yeah. So I know that, I know that if you hear it, you'll tell us. I don't have to remind you to. Yeah. Sorry, guys. We're trying to work through that. <laughs> yeah. Trust me. We we used to have a, a loud hum with the old mixer. And I would rather have the hum back. Not me, man. Guys, you know we're always on top of all the brand new podcasts that you need to be listening to, and we're going to talk about another one that's from our friends of ParCast. We've told you about several of their great shows. Well, this one is Natural Disasters. Now, we do a lot of talk on this show about ghosts and stuff like that, but tsunamis, volcanoes, tornadoes, earthquakes, those are real-life monsters. We like to think that we're prepared for catastrophe, but from time to time, Mother Nature proves us wrong. Each week on ParCast Network's new podcast, Natural Disasters, They're going to investigate the Earth's most devastating catastrophe and explore 
the stories of the people impacted by it. Now, some of these natural disasters are ancient and shrouded in mystery, like volcanic eruption of Mount Vesuvius, where it's believed that 16,000 people died due to the heat and suffocation. Could you imagine how horrible that would be? Now, others a little more recent, like the eight climbers who were caught in a terrible blizzard in 1996 as they were trying to scale Mount Everest. I remember that like it was yesterday. 2011, and I know most of you remember this, there was a tsunami that killed an estimated 18,000 people in Japan with waves that were three stories high. Natural disasters remind us that despite humanity's achievements, we're basically no match for the fury of Mother Nature. So what I want you to do today is go ahead and listen and subscribe to Natural Disasters for free on Spotify or anywhere that you listen to podcasts. Go ahead and give them a listen. I promise you'll like this as much as you do all the other podcast shows that we've told you about. So, all right. So the thing I love about tonight's story is the fact that it's got several aspects to it. Now, oftentimes, hauntings, as we talk about, they affect one family or they're only reported for a short period of time. And that's the case with like Amityville and the Sally House. Mm Mm-hmm. So we're going to tell you the story of the Hinsdale House. And I've been dying to do this on the regular show, but decided months ago that we were going to do it for the live event. So I kind of held on to it. We wanted to have a great story for the live events. So we saved it. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But now that we've done it, it's time to share it with the masses. Awesome. So why do I like the story so much? Mainly because much of what we're going to tell you about is actually documented. Mm Mm-hmm. So like many of these stories, there's a bit of legend and folklore mixed in, but there's a lot of truth here, too. So let's get to it. house is an old farmhouse. It's literally in the middle of nowhere in Hinsdale, New York, which is up around kind of close to Buffalo. Okay. So it's it's way up in the state. It's your typical style, I guess you would think, you know, white wooden farmhouse. It was built around 1853. So just kind of picture what you would Mm -hmm. think an old farmhouse like that would look like. It's surrounded by forest and mountains. Now, there is there is a road. It's kind of nearby. And there's a few other houses in the vicinity, but it's extremely isolated. So the property today only contains the house, which is the original structure. So at one time, there was also a barn and a way station that was uh, on the property, but it's no longer there. Those structures will actually play a, a part in some of the, the stories that we're going to talk about a little bit later. So we mentioned the house was original, but there has been some addition to the living room and the bedroom area. The land that the house was built on has a very dark history. Supposedly, according to legend, the whole area is haunted and cursed. So the town of Hinsdale was originally founded by Native Americans. When the land was taken from them, they put a curse on it. No spirits could move on based on the curse that they put there. Oh, wow. That's annoying. This piece of land that the house sits is also supposedly on a Native American burial ground. If you listen to the numbers that were put out there, it's believed that 1,100 Native Americans were also killed on this property. Oh, man, that's awful. So what we've learned from past shows about what happens when you build houses on yeah. Native American burial grounds? Nothing good's coming out Nothing of that. Good. So the first owner of this house was a pair of brothers named the Averick's brothers. Now, remember, we said that there was a way station that originally used to be on this property that's no longer there. 
The Averitts brothers would have stagecoaches come through their property and get weighed. So they would let people coming through, stay at their house. So it was like a little boarding house or a, like a little hotel, so to speak. Unfortunately, like a roach motel, not everyone had checked in, checked out. No. Well, how long does it take to weigh a horse and buggy? <laughs> well, I don't think it was. Remember, we said this was in the middle of nowhere. So I would think that it was just like, hey, we're already here. Oh, gotcha. Let's just go ahead and spend, stay yeah. the night. Okay, that makes sense. So the Averitts brothers would rob and kill them and bury them in the crawl space. Of the house, these people that were staying the night. Oh. There's also a hanging tree on the property, at least the original property that was 100 acres. The tree was at the entrance of the property, and several people supposedly were hung there. There's a particular story involving a young woman who was hung on this tree. Her name was Elizabeth. And she just gotten married, and she became pregnant. Her husband had to go off to war. Now, they didn't have any kind of money, and and they couldn't afford, like, a wedding ring. Mm -hmm. So they didn't even – and apparently you had to pay for a marriage certificate, too, because they couldn't afford one of those. Mm -hmm. So they were married, but they had basically no proof of what you would consider proof back in that day. So this is the 1800s. When she was starting to show signs of being pregnant – And having no proof that she was married, everybody accused her of adultery, and she was hung on this tree. Oh, no. As a pregnant woman who was out of wedlock. Oh, my God. Her husband came back from the war, couldn't find her. He was told that she was buried by the tree and, you know, everything that had happened. (gasps) Oh. That tree was struck by lightning and destroyed in 2003, and it kind of fell over into a ditch. Now, there is still some remnants left, and people will come by there, and they'll collect little wooden pieces and slivers and stuff from that tree just because it has that history. But, like some other stories we've done in the past, people who come by and pick up those pieces and take them, they have unfortunate runs of bad luck. And they end up bringing the pieces back. What the heck did the husband do? Did he try to get revenge or anything? Or? No, I just all, all I know is he just found out that Aww, she was buried underneath that tree. That's horrible. So then the McMahon O'Brien family purchased the home, and they kept it for about 70 years. 70? 70. During their ownership in 1943, there was a little boy by, by the name of Emerson. He went out back, and he was playing in the barn. Remember, I said there was mm-hmm. a barn that used to be on the property also. So he was back there, and he was playing in the barn. This barn was used for cutting wood with a buzzsaw. So they had one of the big buzzsaws, oh, yeah. and that was pretty common back in, in the day. So the little boy was playing around with the saw. The belt broke, hitting him in the head and killing him. <sighs> then, in 1960s, there was a pair of brothers who were fighting in the woods on the property over some religious differences. Apparently, one brother was changing from a Catholic Mm-hmm. to a Jehovah's Witness. Mm-hmm. And they had this big heated argument because, the, you know, the younger brother just didn't like the idea that he was changing religions. And the story goes that he accidentally shot and killed the older brother. Wow. But the younger brother had just gotten out of prison the last summer, so most people didn't buy that story. Mm-hmm. So if these stories... 
are true, and we know many have been verified, there literally could be hundreds and hundreds of bodies buried on this property. In the late 60s, the Reese family bought the house and property, and they wanted to build some cabins to kind of make a community out there. Mm -hmm. So they start building the cabins. They add a few ponds. This construction is what many people think kind of started the paranormal activity because they disturbed the land. Yeah, right. Digging ponds and all that stuff. Yeah. So Ed and Lorraine Warren were called out to the house to try and check things out uh, because of some of the incidents. They said that there was definitely something there. Now, they really aren't much part of the story at all after, but I felt that it was kind of important to at least mention that they had some type of involvement. Mm-hmm. So the real meat and potatoes of the story is the experiences of the Dandy family. And you will hear some people refer to the Hensdale house as the Dandy house for this reason. So the Dandies moved in in the early 1970s. It was Claire and Phil Dandy and their children, Laura, Mike, Mary, and Beth. They moved into what they thought was the perfect house, which is so many times the oh, cases yeah. with mm-hmm. these. It was secluded. It was private, peaceful, plenty of room for the kids to play. It didn't take long for them to realize that there was something wrong. They almost immediately started receiving these weird phone calls that would just be whispering or crackling noises on the other end of the phone. And keep in mind, we're talking, you know, a time pre-cell phone. It's a strictly house phone. Mm -hmm. The family and neighbors would hear chanting coming from the woods. And when I say chanting, I guess I'm more or less thinking maybe Native American style chanting that you would would hear Mm -hmm. during the times when they were together as a tribe. They also heard whisperings coming from outside the house. Now, this stuff is spooky, but it's pretty much harmless. We could pretty much all agree. So what started happening next was not harmless. The family started to get unexplained burns on various parts of their bodies. Whoa. They started seeing a full-bodied apparition that was a lady in white. It was right outside the house in the back of the house. Then they started seeing some strange animal-slash-humid hybrid. Now, it seemed to be part of a cow Mm -hmm. and part person. They believed it to be some type of demonic entity. There was this one instance where a part of the wall in the house that had some exposed brick had two of the bricks work themselves loose and somehow place themselves in the crawl space. One night, Phil Dandy, he kind of stayed up. Everybody else had already went to bed. He's sitting down in the living room, and he hears something. He looks outside, and there was a large group of people just staring at him through the window. He jumps up. He's thinking, you know, there's a bunch of trespassers out there. What the hell's going on? He runs outside, but there was absolutely nobody there. (laughs) That's like... What's his face? Brian was talking about when they stayed all night at KSR. Remember? He could, oh, yeah, yeah. Remember? Yeah, Brian, he yeah. heard all those people out there, and he said he went out there, and there was like not one soul. Yeah, he said he went out to the patio because it was they have a patio area, and he yeah. said he heard all these people, and he went out there, and there was nobody there. Oh, man, that's awful. So, so Phil runs outside. There's nobody there. As he starts to turn around to walk back in the house, he looks at the window that he was just looking out of from mm-hmm. the house. And the same group of people are now staring at him from the inside of the house. 
Holy crap. The family begins to fear that whatever was happening would turn more violent. And that was probably with pretty good reason. So one of the daughters had a lamp thrown at her from across the living room. Laura, the 12-year-old daughter, she had lots of problems with spirits and was supposedly possessed for a short period of time while she was living in the house. The straw that broke the camel's back, though, is when Phil Dandy started suffering amnesia to the point where he couldn't even remember what was happening to him. He called an exorcist by the name of Father Alphonsus from St. Bonaventure University up in New York. The exorcism of the house and the family took place while a paranormal investigator was present, kind of looking at, at all the stuff going on and recording the activity that was going on. So according to eyewitnesses, the paranormal activity became the worst that it had ever been while this exorcism was going on. So lights in the house were flickering on and off. There was this unexplainable banging that was coming from inside the walls. Windows would, would break out from the front out. So like a, if they broke inwards, you could say, oh, well, somebody was outside through a rock. Through a rock. This was happening from the inside out. Oh, wow. There was a terrible sense of an evil presence that they felt like was just in the house. It was just drifting through the home. So the house was calm for a few days after the exorcism, but the activity came back with a vengeance a few days later. This forced the Dandy family to move out in 1974 after a little more than a year in the house. Well, it seems like he had amnesia. That would be a good thing that he didn't remember that. Yeah, but it, it also meant that, that he wasn't in control of what was going on. Well, that's true. Because if you can't remember that, what else can you not remember? Yeah. You would think moving out of the house would have fixed the problems for the Dandies, but unfortunately, tragedies kind of seemed to follow them after mm. they moved out. Shortly after moving out, their oldest daughter, Beth, committed suicide. Oh, man. Gosh. Claire and Phil would get divorced in the next few few years as well. Today, the house remains very haunted, and people claim to see a young, dark-haired girl in 1970s clothing. So current owner da Daniel Clays that we talked earlier, he asked Clara Dandy, who is now Clara Miller, about her thoughts on, on this. And Clara seems to believe that this is her daughter returning to the house. Some have said that they think her suicide is directly tied to something that happened in that house. And we mentioned Daniel Clays, who owns the house now. Dan's a paranormal investigator, and he had visited the house way back. And he found that the owners wanted to burn this house down and just sell the property. He had fallen in love with this house, and the house was in really bad need of repairs. Uh, roof and stuff was, was in horrible shape. There was water coming in. Yeah. Just a lot of stuff needed to be done. But Dan felt like there was just some kind of calling for him. So he buys it, and he's been working on renovating it. He replaced the roof. He had to remove a huge hive of bees that were inside the walls. And now he lets people go and he tour it and do paranormal investigations to raise money to further the renovation. Yeah, so, good idea. And I talked to him yesterday and asked him what the condition of the house was. And he said now it's really stable uh -huh. to where it didn't used to be. Well, good for him. And he's uh, now he's got another project also where he's got another house that was in disrepair that um, 
And I will, I'll let him tell about that when he comes on the show, but he's got another house that's in disrepair that now he's purchased it and he's doing paranormal investigations and stuff there to raise money to get it fixed mm-hmm. up. So, and it's, I agree. It's a shame to just let these, yeah, these places is. that, that had that kind of history go. Right. Right. So at least from a paranormal standpoint. Yeah. But anyway, that's the story of the Hinsdale house. Yeah, that's pretty cool. And a lot of this stuff. A lot of these stories we're talking about, about the uh, Native American burial ground, about the number of Native Americans that were uh, buried on the property and all that, that's all information that Daniel, I was going to say dug up, but that's probably bad term. <laughs> bad term. That's information that Daniel researched and came up with. A lot of what we talked about in this story was stuff that he researched and found out on his own. Mm-hmm. So, Well, good job. Thank you cool for story. doing that, Daniel. All right. So we're going to do this. We're going to, we got, of course, our Patreon and stuff we're going to get into. We're going to talk a little bit about, um, our, some experience and some cool people we met. And then we're going to do a little bit of rock and roll in the occult. What do you uh, think? Sounds good a little to me. music story. So Tracy, if you would, we'll let you go ahead and do the patrons and stuff for the All week. All right. All right. Our iTunes was from Kata83. Diller Farms, Heather Sprague, Chris0690, Emily Laughs78, Bay Area Nessa. I think it's really can't find a nickname, I think. <laughs> Mailman from Hell, Tiffany330, Wrong Way Right. Thou shalt not try me mood 24-7. <laughs> Love it. And Jonas, thank you guys for your really kind reviews. They were great. And our Patreons were Justin Martin, Amanda Rachels, and Nise Flore. Thank you guys for your support. Love you all so much. And we wouldn't be here without you, so well, what can we say? Absolutely. Just, we wouldn't be. No, we wouldn't be. Just so you guys know, we do appreciate you all so much. Okay. So I said last week that I had a big announcement. And that's got to wait for another week. <laughs> but you guys will be happy with it. Well, some of you will and some of you won't because that's just the nature of the world we live in today. But for the most part, I think you'll be happy with it. Yeah. Now, let's talk a, a few things about what we were able to do. First of all, a big, big thank you to CryptidCon for having us out. Oh, absolutely. That was great. And a big thank you for Ninja for snoring so damn loud. That <laughs> that was a loud one. So we had the privilege of meeting so many awesome people, actresses, writers, um, Mike Couch, like we talked about, who uh, runs a charity for uh, amputees. It's just, we feel really blessed Oh man, to have ever. made the contacts. So, I mean- through what we were able to do over the over the weekend, we're going to be able to get Nick Groff on the show. We're going to be able to get some of the guys from Mountain Monsters on the show. Yeah. You know, Mike Couch, Derek Hayes from Monsters Among Us. I mean, these are people that we are like you guys. We're fans of. Of course. And now we're going to be able to get these these guys and gals on the show. We got a couple of actresses that are going to come on. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it was just phenomenal. I had so much fun this weekend and, and the, the experiences were more than anything. And so many of you guys came out and said hi. And, you know, when we did this thing at Scarefest, we were out there a couple of years ago and 
literally there was 15,000 people that came through. And I think probably seven or eight came mm-hmm. through and they had heard the podcast. Yeah. You know, we were only a year old at the time and we're still, still growing. And now, mm-hmm. like, this event had probably 2,000 people come by. Mm-hmm. And I bet there were 30 people that said mm-hmm. they'd heard the podcast mm-hmm. and were mm-hmm. friends and fans of the show. And, and we do consider everybody friends of the show. So of course. We really appreciate it, meeting everybody. Like we have always said, that's our biggest blessing is to meet people. Yeah, it was very, it was very Everybody cool. was so, so nice. So, anyways, um, real quick on live shows, and then we're going to get into some rock and roll the cult. Still have tickets available for the three shows. We've got the Point Pleasant show in West Virginia. It's us, Bro Ohio, and History Goes Bump. And that show is rapidly selling tickets. That's October 5th. That's a Saturday. They're having battle days out there the same day, which will be mm-hmm. Revolutionary War reenactments. I know. I can't wait for that. This literally, the AMVETS or American Legion, I'm sorry, that we're doing this at is haunted. And it sits right on the location where the Revolutionary War, one of the battles was fought. Mm-hmm. And there are Revolutionary War soldiers buried all over the place. Yeah. So it's going to be really cool. Come out there and make a whole day of it. Then we've got New York, Philadelphia back-to-back, and that closes out our live shows for the year as far as um, New York. If you're out there, let us know it because nobody's buying tickets for the New York show, and everybody tells us New York procrastinates. And I hope that's not the case (laughs) because it (laughs) makes us nervous. (laughs) But the Philadelphia show, New York show, both of them are with uh, Dina Marie from Twisted Philly and myself and Tracy. It's going to be a blast. Especially because I've never been there to either place. So I'm looking really forward to I've that. I've never been to either places. Either. You've been to New York, right? No. Oh, I thought you did. Mm-mm. Yeah. It'll be fun. I'm excited. No, I went to New York, New York, and Las Vegas, but I don't think that's the same oh, thing. <laughs> it's not the same. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So let's do some rock and roll stuff. Now, this is going to, um, we're going to go way back on this. So when I say way back, I don't mean way back like, Zeppelin, or even Robert Johnson way back. I'm talking way, way back. So we've done several stories of rock and roll in the occult, stories of musicians who've been rumored to have sold their soul to the devil for fame and fortune. That's the classic line, right? But what if I told you that these rumors were going on about musicians way before rock and blues ever became even a music genre? Dang. Today, we're going to share some of those stories. There have been talks about people selling their soul to the devil in several forms over the century. Those really began to pick up in the late 1500s. This was mainly because of Johann Phelps. Phelps was a German alchemist. He was a magician who supposedly made a deal with the demon Mistopheles in exchange for his soul. So a hundred years later, it made its way into music thanks to Giuseppe Tartini. Are you familiar with Giuseppe's work, Tracy? I thought Giuseppe was with Pinocchio. That's Geppetto. Oh, dang. No, then I'm not. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. yeah. Giuseppe was actually a violinist, not a woodworker. So They must be related, though. So Tartini said that the devil came to him in a dream, and he made a pact for his soul. In his dream, he gave the devil a violin, and the devil played the most beautiful sonata he had ever heard. He woke up the next morning. He was trying to remember exactly what he heard in this dream. What he had written 
was called the Violin Sonata in G, but it's better known as the Devil's Trill Sonata. And you'll hear a lot about Devil's Trill being played in a lot of heavy metal and stuff like this. This is where it started back in the 1600s. And it ended with the devil went down to Georgia. He was looking for soda still. First of all, we're going to talk about that in a little bit. You stepped all over my punchline. (laughs) 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 Though the song was a masterpiece, Tartini said it was so inferior to what I had heard that if I could have subsisted on other means, I would have broken my violin and abandoned music forever. That's so, a little harsh. But so he's got this masterpiece, and in his opinion, it was crap compared to what he heard in his dream. He couldn't replicate it. As Charlie Daniels has informed us, the devil likes violins. You know that. I do this. I mean, I know this. A hundred years after Tartini, there was another incident with a violinist, Niccolo Paganini. He's considered by some to be the greatest violin virtuoso ever to live. So he started on the mandolin at five years old. Good for him. He was composing music by the age of seven and performing live at 12 years old for big concertos and stuff. He was so good that the public started to surmise that his talent had come from some kind of dark dealings with the underworld. Why? Why can't he just be good? Well, it's unusual for somebody to be that good, that quick. So they might have thought that was just unnatural. It didn't help that Paganini was tall and very pale with long fingers and flaming eyes. Oh, well, hey. His performances were legendary. They didn't have red eye or red out back then. Where you no, Bazing. It said that the audience members would sometimes make the sign of the cross as he played to protect themselves from the evil. Other stories said that he continued to play Flawlessly, even though he had broken strings. He also contorted his body into weird shapes while playing. (laughs) So one audience member left a Vienna concert saying he saw the devil on stage assisting Paganini. So Niccolo Paganini died at the age of 54 years old. And one of the things that he did before his death was send away a priest that had come to administer his last rites. He sent him away? Yep. So be gone. And this only increased the legend, as you can imagine, that he sold his soul to the devil when on his deathbed he sent the priest away. Yeah. That was a bad move, dude. It probably was. All right. So we got some more rock and roll stuff. That's kind of the beginning type stuff of where all this music and the occult stuff comes in. But this story is a little more modern. And it's also a little more um, hardcore. It was a gruesome crime. 15-year-old Elise Palin was lured into a grove of eucalyptus trees in 1995 by three teenage boys. They bound her neck with a belt. They stabbed her repeatedly, and they raped her. Her body might not have been found if one of the teens hadn't come forward. Royce Casey said that she was a blonde-haired, blue-eyed virgin and they were sacrificing her to the devil. They don't know. How do they know she's a virgin? I mean, I'm sure she was, but. They were members of the death metal band, and they felt that the sacrifice would make their music better. 
Casey said that it was an idea that they had gotten from the song Alter the Sacrifice from the band Slayer. The words say in this song, High priest awaiting dagger in hand, spilling the pure virgin blood. Satan's slaughter, ceremonial death, answers his every command. So Palin's parents filed a lawsuit against Slayer and trying to hold them partially responsible for the mm-hmm. death of their daughter. I remember that. The case was later thrown out of court. But for many people, heavy metal is believed to be tied to the devil, and it's a doorway or a portal, like a Ouija board or witchcraft, that can basically invite the forces of darkness into someone's life. That brings us to Dave Mustaine. Now, he was one of the original members and founders of Metallica, as well as the founder and lead singer for Megadeth. Dave's had a very dark past, and he's now a born-again Christian. He says that the greatest lie ever told is that the devil doesn't exist. He said that everyone thinks that he's red and has horns and a goatee, and he's this ugly, hideous creature, but no. He's beautiful. He was an angel. Why would he look like some kind of monster? He can look just like any of us if he chooses to. And that's according to Dave. When asked if heavy metal is infused with the power of the devil, he says in some cases, but not in all cases. He said you've got great heavy metal bands that believe in God and glorify him. In fact, he says that Megadeth pray before going on stage every night. Okay. He said a lot of the death metal bands use a chord progression made up of three chords that drop down called the Devil's Tritone. Ties right into what we were just talking about. It just sounds dark and evil, which is why they use it. Mm-hmm. The day was a born-again Christian, but that wasn't always the case, obviously. As a child, he was brought up as a Jehovah's Witness, and he said that it had a negative effect on him growing up. He couldn't celebrate any kind of birthdays like Christians could. He couldn't say the Pledge of Allegiance in school. He also wasn't allowed to associate with most of the kids his age because his mother said that they were of the world and bad influences. So like a lot of kids would do, or teenagers, he revolted. He turned to witchcraft, and as a teenager, he casted two hexes that he can remember. He said the first was on a teen who bullied him. Dave said that the teen got into an automobile accident and there was significant damage to a body part that he had targeted and hexed. That showed him that this was real. This wasn't a game. Mm -hmm. And the second time was on a girl at school. He had his big crush on. Everybody wanted to date her and she was way out of his league, according to Dave. So he decides to cast a hex on her to see if somehow, some way, you know, like a love spell type deal. He said the day after placing the hex, she was at his apartment. Dave says that most people don't believe in black magic or witchcraft, that it's not real or it doesn't work, but he knows for sure that it does work. His fascination with the occult lasted all the way into adulthood. He was doing lots of uh, blood packs with people where, you know, they would cut their thumbs and and mash their thumbs together, that Mm -hmm. type of thing like you see in the movies. This was before anyone knew about AIDS, obviously. Yeah, of course. Now he looks back and he says that he would never make a blood covenant with somebody that he didn't know. The Bible says blood is life. So Dave feels like he opened a door for some kind of demonic forces. It had a profound impact on his life. He thinks that that led to his extreme drinking and drug abuse. 
He said that every time he did something satanic, he had been drinking. He thinks there's definitely a tie to drinking drugs and the devil. So he said he did things crazy while he was was drinking this stuff. Mm -hmm. And he drank without doing satanic stuff, but he never did satanic stuff unless he was drinking. So that was his way of knowing there was some kind of a tie-in. Oh, interesting. Today, Dave Mustaine's clean, sober, and a Christian, and he refuses to play some songs on stage, such as Megadeth's cover of the Sex Pistols, Anarchy in the UK, and he says he's better for it. He says he's more dangerous now than ever because he's armed with the truth. Good for him. And, of course, Dave's suffering some um, major medical issues. Oh, really? So, yeah. He announced back in June, I think June 19th, that he has cancer. And uh, he's battling that. I know Megadeth had to cancel the tour that they were on Mm -hmm. and all that. So That's what a shame. Yeah. Thoughts and prayers out to Dave Mustaine and his battle with cancer. And hopefully he can get past this. Oh, man. So, well, guys, that's the end of this week's show. Well, that's an interesting story there. I thought it was interesting. I do want to say, too, uh, we also learned about one other thing I want to put a plug in for when we were at Crypticon, which is uh, Cryptid Crate. So if you get a chance, if you like these subscription services, this one's actually really cool. We had a chance. They, this one, they have, sometimes you'll get shirts, socks, shorts. They've got, uh, you'll get books and movies, DVDs that are all cryptid and paranormal related. Mm-hmm. It's like 40 bucks a month, but it's loaded down with stuff. Oh, a lot wow. of, a lot of Bigfoot stuff and stuff. So if you're into that kind of stuff, just look up cryptid crate on Google and it'll take you straight to the site. And go ahead and take care of that. And you'll, I, pro- I promise you'll like the stuff in there. We, they had a couple of them up there and uh, they're getting ready to send us one. And we don't have any affiliation. We're not making any money off of it. I just thought it was pretty damn cool. Oh, good. So, Can't wait to see it. All right, guys. Thank you so much. And we'll see you next week. Have a blessed week, guys. <laughs>